hello, 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 hello. Are we there? Are we, we here? Is. I can clear. I can clear the lady. What? I can hear clearly now. Now the rain is gone. Although it never rains in Arizona. Oh, this year it did. A little bit. Just a little so, bit, though. We got more than California, I think. <laughs> Poor California. Poor California's been on fire. Oh, no doubt, girl. I saw, like, um, I just saw some amazing pictures that were like, oh, if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be beautiful. Right? But Oh, yeah, like with the burning mountains in the background. Yeah, all the, the animals that are being rescued and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, 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 it's tragic. So my heart goes out to all those people who lost either their homes and much worse, anybody who has family members who's lost their lives. Absolutely. So. Yes. Our hearts go out to you guys with what you're dealing with. Really? I just saw you. Hi. Hi. I just saw you a couple days ago, too. Well, that's, you know. Sober correction because we hardly saw each other for several weeks. I do the running man right now, but I'm I'm sitting and I'm fine. Fine, fine. I would too, but I might hurt myself. (laughs) So one time I went to a concert and um no 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 no. (laughs) Um House of Pain came out and they came out hard. Um, with the jump around, so we were all very drunk and we jumping were very around. About it. We were Except so our friend it. Mark, he was like, "I ain't jumping around, big old weenie." Yeah. So, <laughs> so he could brag the next morning. That right. I don't hurt. I don't. I was like, "Why do my knees hurt?" And I'm like, "We were jumping," and she's like, "Oh, that makes sense now." <laughs> we, yeah, we were definitely jumping. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Lots of fun, lots of fun. So much fun. So what did you do this weekend and the you know and the couple of days that I didn't see you? My weekend was um filled. Um I had to do my grandpa's um viewing and stuff like that. Right. So lots of family. Right. Um very very sad moment, but at the same time it was great to be around all my family, telling stories, jokes, giving people some scotch um lessons for lack of anything else like hopscotch yeah that's what it was it was hopscotch i was bell and hypno um but yeah so we're just asking a bunch asking me and sergio a bunch of questions and so um just schooling them a little bit while they schooled us on some mezcal oh yeah 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 yum yum so i i like the mezcal i just don't like the the headache the next day well you know what kind of like whiskey they were saying that the mezcal the better quality you get the less the hangover right which again it goes with scott and bourbon at the same time so scott scotch hi scott, hi, scott. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of i have not been able to catch up on outlander i haven't even seen the what? first episode this what? season are you yes. serious I know, girl. Don't be, don't be mad at me, but I just okay. haven't had a chance to catch up with anything. You're absolutely. Well, speaking of catching up, I uh, I spent, I think it was Saturday, binge watching The Last Kingdom. Oh, I want to watch that so bad. Yeah, it just came out on uh, Netflix. So yeah, I happened upon that and I was like, okay, I'm not getting off my couch for the next six hours. <laughs> girl, I still need to catch up on Narcos and I haven't been able to do that oh, either. I haven't so. even started watching that yet. Just not enough time. Just Telling not enough. We've been so busy with other stuff. So yeah, I have to pick and choose the movies I get to watch. No doubt, girl. No doubt. No doubt. So should we introduce ourselves? 
Um, maybe. Maybe. I'm Yvette. I'm Alma. And this is Tipsy Tales. Hi, everybody. Hope you guys are having a absolutely great week. I know it's Monday. It's the Mondayest Monday of all times, but, and it's going to be a long one. No holidays, no no days off, and no celebrations until Christmas. Well, you had to go to work today. I had today kind of off. You didn't have it off. You I just didn't. didn't go to actual work, but you were working yeah, all day. Yeah, I just day. didn't leave the house. But I brought you wine, so. Thank you. And and what wine is that? So we actually, it's called, let's see if I could pronounce this. It's Travevida. No, Atrevida. Atrevida. That sounds about better. Sorry, my Spanish was um, missing in my vocab right now. So it is a passionate spirit of Argentina. Argentina? A unique combination of old world European elegance with a spicy Latin twist. It's, it's very good. It's from Mendoza, Argentina. Alcohol, 14%. Winemaker's Notes, a juicy and fruity wine with berry and cherry character. Firm and silky tannins. Tight and focused, which I've never heard of that when they're speaking of wine. Tight and focused. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's always excellent and wants you to enjoy this with some seafood or some poultry now i usually put like my ratings on art but it's a very simple black label and so it's not asu wami it's like asu that's about it so it's like a five for art uh, su? <laughs> <laughs> asu. asu 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 so it's short and tight it is short I'm focused. Oh. <laughs> Is that what it said? It short did. I'm focused. telling you. Oh, I thought it said short No, it said focus. Wait, hold on. I can't wait. I can usually read backwards, but me and Alma, as usual, started venting and we started wine early. So, yeah, we started uh, our wine therapy. Tight a and bit focused. Early. Tight. See, I knew tight was in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting, interesting. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I thought I had something to talk about today. Day, but I thought about it on my way in and it kind of just fell out my brain so I wanted to tell you the story that my cousin told me the other night okay so when we had family over it was the end of the night and we're kind of winding down and um it was my cousin and my tia and us and we were just kind of kicking back and he's telling me he lives alone okay and he comes home from work one day and he's walking past his room and he sees what looks like somebody lying under the covers under his bed. And he takes a picture of it. He shows me the picture. It literally looks like somebody is laying in his bed. Oh my and God, it wasn't girl. Goldilocks. And it was like social media. It's like before you run out the door and call the police, take, take a, a picture, picture first. Right, right. So he like <laughs> is, he walks past the room and then he backtracks and tries to pretend like, you know, he didn't really see it. I, I, I don't know at which point he takes the picture. It might have been after everything, but he goes into the kitchen. He grabs a knife. He comes in and jumps on the bed. Oh, my God. <laughs> and stabs the shit out of oh, his pillow. Oh, that poor pillow. <laughs> fatality it was the pillow feathers oh everywhere it's like God. imagine feathers everywhere and he's trying to like because he just you know it was total pillow homicide oh girl i bet that would have freaked me out because i did he showed did show me the picture and i was like what the fuck that really looks like a person it was like you could see the head you could see the body and then like their knees are bent in a little bit and it literally looked like a person was lying in his bed 
Girl, that's crazy. I know Talia's like real phobic about shit like that, so she'll turn on all the lights before she goes inside um, the house because, you know, you're shadows and whatnot, so. But I do have kind of a funny story. When um, we were all at my um, family's house, we were all taking care of my grandpa. We were all, you know, we're all family together. Everybody's very sleep deprived. Um, it's night after night, you know, kind of taking shifts, sort of. And my aunt, she's typical Latina woman. She wants to look her best all the time. So she has this machine who like kind of sucks, you know, she's like, mira mija, and you do this to this and it makes your stomach flat and it, and you know, and it, and it, and it moves the fat and then you pee it or you poop it out. Oh my God. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> and she looks good. I'm not going to lie. She looks great. Right. So anyways, um, my cousin is there, um, and we're sitting there in the room. My mom is grouchy. My mom is just not having it. So she goes, um, Patsy, she tells her. You, she goes, you are so grouchy and bossy. You need to, and she puts her, her fingers in quotes in the air. And she's like, you need to go home and take a nap with your husband. And I'm looking at her. I'm like, I'm right here. Huh? You know, like, I'm right here. I don't want to see a picture of my mom doing that. That's gross. And she's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. And she literally turns like half a turn and goes to my mom. Patsy, you need to go take a when she puts the air quotes again, nap. And I'm like, seriously, dude, I'm right here. <laughs> so she's funny. I thought that was, I cracked me up because I didn't know whether to put a pencil in my eye first or stick it in my ear so I wouldn't have to hear her say that anymore. But, um, so here comes my aunt, you know, coming in. She's like, oh my God, look, look at this. She shows her, so she, she grabs uh, that cousin and she takes her out. She's like, look, look at my piece. See all that white stuff right there? She goes, wait, wait, wait. it's fat. She no. goes, it's fat. Your pee. She's fat. showing her her pee. Her pee. <laughs> yes, ma'am. In, in a bowl. In a bowl. Yes. She's like, that's my fat. And so my cousin, fucking, without a fucking second to hesitate, she's like, it looks like sperm to me. And then she walks out of her restroom. Black. I about died <laughs> laughing. I laughed so hard. I don't think I could breathe for half that time. It was just hysterical. God. <laughs> Some but, of the stories we could tell about our families are just... Girl, it was the most beautiful thing. Like I said, with, with everything that happened, I don't think I've laughed so hard in my life. Right. Um, we, yeah, I don't think I've even, I've laughed so hard in my life, um, but being with them. And again, I'm not sure if it was because we're all sleep deprived or we were just very united, which I got to thank my family that, that they really just showed up in support. Um, and they did great. They were amazing, but yeah, it was, it, it had me cracking up. They even had one of my, um, uncles, um, we were sitting there, me and my uncle were sitting in my grandpa's bed this and I'm kind of rubbing his, they're saying, and I was kind of rubbing his feet and my uncle sitting next to him and my aunt Geneva comes over there and she's talking to my uncle and we're like, what the hell is she doing? So I look at my uncle and I grew up with my uncle like a brother. So he, um, he turns around and, and he's like, what is she doing? I'm like, I don't know. So she moves away. And what happens is that she's actually touching up his grays, mm -hmm. but she does it all in his hair. And she puts these two big black marks on his eyebrows. So he looks like a uh, groucho marks. And I look at my uncle and my uncle slowly turns to the side. He's like, I, I can't look at that. I can't look at it. Bursts out laughing. I can't stop laughing that I'm snorting. Cause I swear 
I would put the picture up, but I don't want to hurt his feelings, and that shit would get around the internet, so, the internet, so, but, yeah, oh, would. my God, <laughs> it was hysterical. I laughed so hard that I actually started snorting, and my uncle, who was trying to stop laughing because they're looking at us like, what are you guys laughing at? He starts snorting, so we just laughed for fucking, when like, You showed five me that minutes. picture. I was like, oh, my God, what am I looking at here? <laughs> what the hell am I looking at here? And you're like, it's my uncle. <laughs> It's like you can just literally see two big giant black uh, oh my dashes on the top for eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see like all his black hair like oh just kind of outlined around the sides. And the worst part, girl, is that when we saw him later in that night, he walked away and my aunt, my aunt actually didn't get a big stripe of this gray. The whole head of hair was black, except the black, the one stripe for the, the back of his head where you couldn't see. It was all white. <laughs> oh my God, you're poor you. Oh, pobrecito. He looked good in front though. <laughs> it wasn't a party in the it back. It was not a party in the back. <laughs> You know what? I understand because, uh, I, I mean, I think I understand because we kind of the same thing with my family. Like, yeah. We laughed about so many things when um, it was my dad and then my grandmother last year. So and just being fun getting together and, and just and... like and, you know, the sad thing is that those are the times when everybody gets together. Oh, yeah. So it's like you haven't seen family for so long and then you're all around each other and then camped you know, out for days. days. Sleeping. Yeah. So, you know, the stories start coming out. You start cracking up about the craziest things. Yeah, girl. So, I mean, like I said, in sadness, my grandfather um, gave the gift to our family of bringing us all together. So, you just got to look at the good side and know that he had a good, long life. And, um, you know, he was blessed with loving family. And they were all around when um, he actually passed. So, there's that. So, we're going to go ahead and... Living a long grandpa. life because not many people are uh, privileged are, with that. Yeah, exactly. Righty, girl. What do you got for us okay. today? My story is going to be the Breeze Knoll murders. And Breeze Knoll is actually a house in New Jersey. Okay. Um, I did the Jer- Beast, uh, Beast of Jersey last week, but this is actually New Jersey. New Jersey not Oakland, in America. But New Jersey in America. So anyways, um, the uh, Breeze Knowles house is a huge Victorian style mansion. It has like 19 rooms, um, three stories, ballroom, just, just absolutely beautiful. So, and so this is where all this takes place. So kind of know put that out there. In May 1989, um, the America's Most Wanted was on air for about a year and they actually put out a profile of an 18 year old murder at that time. Okay. They pulled out. They actually carved this um, this clay bust of um, the, how old how this gentleman would look. Murder. Not even saying gentleman. I'm sorry. How this murder would actually look aged twenty years. So they do this episode. Get hundreds of calls and tips coming in, but one actually st- stood out to them the most, um, and it's this one woman from Colorado. And so she said that her neighbor, her, her old neighbor, because they had moved, um, her neighbors had moved to Virginia, that she, he looked exactly like that, um, that clay bus that they were showing. Oh, wow. So police actually go to the, um, to this guy's house in Virginia. They track him down. It takes about 11 days. And um, the wife, they knock on the door. The wife's like, he's not here. He's at work. Um, but that's insane. It's, it's not. 
Rob, it's not this John List guy. It's it's just not. Right. So she sends him off to her husband's work. They get there, confront him, talk to him. He says, nope, not me. Not me. My name is Robert Clark. Um, you have the wrong person. It's just pure coincidence that it looks like me. So they take him in anyways, because, you know, why not? Right. Denies, denies, denies. Um, That's good. They were doing their job. Right, no doubt. A lot of times they're like, okay, we believe you. Sure, we believe you. We will take your word for it. Because, I mean, in all honesty, he was married to his new wife for several years now. So, you know. Right. So, anyways, um, they take him in. And they fingerprint him and his finger, and they actually have his fingerprints due to his military career. Um, And they positively identify him as being John List. Oh, wow. Still doesn't fess up. Continues, continues to deny the whole time. Are you serious? Up until he's actually taken to court. He's fingerprinted. Yeah. There's no doubt. It's like a running joke with the police. They're like, come on. Okay. You're not journalist. Okay, guy. But yeah, no, it's not you for sure, for sure. But yeah, it is. So anyhow, they, um, he finally fesses up when he actually gets into the courtroom and they're charging him. Okay. So this is what, that's what happened in 1989. So obviously I'm going to back up a little bit and go back a little bit of his history. So in, um, November, 1950, he was actually, um, active duty in the Korean war. He was staying at Fort Estes in Virginia when he met, um, he met Helen Morris Taylor. Her husband had actually died in the war, and she was um, she was a single mom with a young daughter named Brenda. Fort Eustis. Fort Eustis. Okay, I don't want anybody in Virginia to yell get real at us. upset. They probably will. So if I'm mispronouncing that, I sorry, but it's Eustis, I believe. John and her began dating, you know, fairly soon, and then she told him that she was pregnant about two months after they had been dating. So he obviously being. Um, you know, being at that time and stuff, offers to marry her. Turns out that she was lying the whole time. She was never pregnant. Oh, shit. So eventually she did end up, um, she did end up um, having three kids with him. And he kind of went from one job to another. They said he couldn't quite keep a job as an accountant because he did get that education or at least worked in some sort of department while he was in the military. So they said that he just kind of, he just, his social skills were just not what they needed to be, which tended to um, be the main reason why they would let him go at some of his jobs. So he bounced uh, around um, all over the place. And a little bit after the stepdaughter Brenda got married, they act- he actually transferred them back to the East Coast um, in Rochester and then eventually ended up in New Jersey where he bought the Breeze Knoll home. They said that Helen, his wife, had started drinking pretty heavily, that she had become into tranquilizers. Um, some of the other information that I got from different websites actually said that he, that she actually had contracted syphilis from her first husband, but she didn't want to go to the doctor, so she um, said she was pregnant and then insisted they marry in Maryland where, they, where blood tests to get married were not mandatory. Okay, so she doesn't go to the doctor for all this? Can't you go insane? That, that's the point you're trying to make okay. in some of these stories, I think. Although I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, some stories say it, some don't, but more of them do say it than not. So probably okay. she starts just, you know, she's, they just hate, she's just almost to the point to where they're very unhappy in their marriage. Right. They, he continues to get in debt. He moves them around a lot. She starts saying that she wished she never would have married him. And I'm like, well, don't trick a guy and say she, you're pregnant. She basically that, trapped him and... And not to girl shame, but at the same time, it's like, what did, 
okay, but this is kind of your your doing at the right. same time. So so anyways, they got so bad to the point to where when they bought this um, huge mansion, he, he actually asked his mom for the down payment. Mom was like, not a problem. I'll give you a down payment for this big house. Yeah, really? not a problem. No worries. Not a problem. Here, I'll give you a down payment for a but mansion. But she insisted she was going to live with them. Okay. Okay, so I'm not, so oh, yeah, so she's going to live with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, a, in a small That'll studio. That'll make things better fun right <laughs> fun fun um but she actually lived in her own kind of studio styled um apartment on like the third floor oh okay oh, well. so it was a little bit okay. away but still with the family you know um so besides being a little bit reclusive and kind of antisocial, which we all can be antisocial, the family they described the family as um great you know they went to the church they john taught sunday school they appeared to be completely normal, high-functioning, and, and friendly, and great neighbors, probably because they didn't make a lot of noise, but okay. Okay. So that was happening. So in December 1971, John List's neighbors called um, because they had noticed that all the houses on, uh, all the lights in the houses had been turned on. They hadn't seen the family go in and out. Um, they just felt like it was kind of strange. They started noticing that the lights were going out one by one by one as each bulb burned. Okay. Burned out, should I say. So um, one of the, the oldest daughters, um, drama teacher, was like, wait a minute, there's it's an extended absence. It's been about a month since she's been gone. Again, along with the neighbors, oh, no. they felt like something just wasn't quite right. So they call the police. The police get there. They knock on the door. Nobody answers. They start kind of walking around the house to find a, see if there's a door, a window, or something like that open. Okay. Um, they get into the house and they hear this very loud um, organ music throughout the house, throughout the intercom in the house. Okay, that's creepy as fuck. That's what I'm saying. On top of that, there was only a few lights that were on, so it kind of illuminated the the darkness of the house in just a very, very just Ew. kind of creepy way. Okay, organ music, lights. No. Yeah, dim lights, mansion. Well, can you imagine? I mean, they're sitting there walking in here, and all you hear is this, it's dim, it's dark, you don't know what you're walking into, and all you hear is this funeral home music for lack of anything right. else over the intercom that's usually what house. i think of with organ music or just like creepy da- dracula music or something like that yeah so you can just imagine how they were probably on guard so as they're going from room to room to room um they actually notice that there's some blood stains on the walls oh no so they start checking every room and then start following trails of blood that led from one room to the other and eventually ended up in the ballroom where Helen and her three kids were actually in sleeping bags on the floor. Oh my God. They had all been shot to death. Yeah, you know, like, and I said, like, as they move throughout the house, um, they don't know if the perpetrator's still there or the murderer, you know, they don't know if he's still there, if he's still lingering. So they're still, you know, very much at, um, on guard. Right. They make their way up to the attic and they find John's mom, John's mom, her name was Alma. She's actually been oh. shot as well. <laughs> wow. Okay. So they said that um, her body had been kind of oddly positioned on her knees as if um, she had fallen to her knees and, and gone over backwards. She has she actually had like a, just a horrific expression on her face. Well, yeah, uh, her own son killed her. Yeah. And they said that it actually was even more horrific um, because there was a gaping gunshot wound over her left eye. Oh, 
but nobody actually knew when they couldn't they actually looked around the house and they did not find the dad so as they started investigating they didn't they started to uncover that the dad had actually lost his job um, months beforehand except that he would leave his house every single morning and pretend to go to work he would spend time reading or sleeping at the train station until the workday was over and then he'd go home like nothing he also um, felt that his popular socially active teenager Patricia who was a 16 year old daughter um, it especially bothered him that she had become interested in being an actress and that he thought that that was improper in God's eyes oh geez He's a fucking religious nut on top of everything. Yes, ma'am. So um, he was real worried that the family wouldn't get into heaven. So as his anxiety grew and the inability to actually pay for his mortgage or his bills. Um, he put lead in every one of their heads that's to make sure that they to. went to heaven. That's exactly what happened, Alma. He actually was behind about $11,000 on his house um, and that he had kept actually stealing and dipping into his mom's um, bank account to pay I some of these bills. I think you should bills. be more worried about if he's going to go to heaven. I'm getting there. You're okay. ahead of me. I'm getting there. His family actually bought the house around uh, for about $50,000 in 1965. So I'm, I'm sure 1965, house that's a shit ton of money for that time. It meant that they were living above their means um, and eventually they would have to take a second mortgage to pay Paul? Peter to pay borrow, Paul. Yeah, you got it. I was like, I know that's there. Again, and just to let you guys know, we actually have polished off a bottle. We had a little rant session beforehand, so for a little bit uh, slurry, tipsy, or Alma has to finish my sentences, you know why. Exactly. <laughs> what and a friend's for, Alma. <laughs> when I get to my story. In 1971, it looks like he was completely, he was done. He was fucked. He was in absolute, on his way to total financial collapse. Um, and again, he didn't want his um, family or his kids to bear the shame and going on and, you know, and having to deal with going on public assistance at all. So he God gathered forbid. his kids. Right? I'm just saying, because, you know, pride. It helps Isn't everybody. Isn't that right? one of the seven deadly sins? Uh, yeah. Other than murdering your family. Okay, never yeah. mind. No, no, believe me. I thought that same thing. I'm like, what a dick. A little, so about November 5th, 1971, um, the whole family was having dinner. And then he told his kids, you know, I'm not sure how would this is put. I'm assuming he was like, well, we all got to prepare to die. You know, how would you want to be um, buried? Do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? So the kids, poor kids answered him, right? Four days later, he sat in his own home office and waited for his kids um, to finish eating breakfast. So he's sitting there watching them all eat, getting ready for school and rush out the door. Okay. His wife, Helen, came downstairs. She was going to make herself some coffee. He um, saw her, then went around the corner, came back with his um, one of the guns that he had gotten from his, his time in Korea and shoots her in the back of the head, killing nice. her instantly. He then goes upstairs um, to his mom's, uh, you know, a little apartment there. And his mom's like, what What was that noise? He's like, I don't know, mom. It must have been somebody outside. Some, you know, something must be going on outside. She um, says, all right. And then he shoots her point blank in the head as she turned around to face him. Ugh. So after attempting to clean up the um, blood in the attic, um, I guess trying to move her unsuccessfully, he went back downstairs 
grabbed his wife, drug her to the ballroom. Um, it said that he and en- he ended up vomiting in the toilet, changed out of his blood spattered clothes into a neat suit and tie. Now, um, they said that after doing that, he actually went outside and started mowing the lawn. Now, I don't know how true that was because that's the only still only got that source out of one okay. thing. But I'm like, yeah, that's bizarre. What the fuck? Well, everything else he's done up to this point is pretty fucking fuck- bizarre. Exactly. So now we just waited for his kids. So as time passed, he went, um, like I said, he went to his yard, cut the grass, rake leaves, made himself lunch, drove himself to the bank, cashed in his mother's savings bond, and then closed his and his <gasps> mom's bank accounts. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Add, add thief to everything else. Add a dick bag. Big, 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 big pail of dicks he is. He ended up picking up his daughter, Patty, from school. Um, she got home. You know, she got into the house. Um, and, be- I mean, she didn't even get too far into the house before he shot her at close range in the back of the head as well. Um, oh, grabbed wow. her body, drug her to the ballroom. So his younger son, um, Fred, actually came in. They said that he didn't even have enough time to take off his coat or put down his backpack when he did the exact same thing to him. Now, his final son, John Jr., which I think he's probably middle, I'm assuming, because they talked about the daughter being the oldest and the youngest one. He was at school playing soccer. This motherfucker got into his car, went to his school, watched him play soccer, and drove him home. Oh, wow. So he gets into the house and he ends up shooting his son, John, the same way he shot the other two. But I'm not sure if it was the angle or what, but I guess um, he actually um, struggled. He he didn't die instantly like everybody else. He actually, um, I'm not sure if he struggled back with him or if maybe he just didn't die immediately. Um, But then he, but the father wanted to make sure he's dead and and everything else puts nine more bullets into him until his body actually stops moving. So then afterwards, um, after everything's said and done, drags him to the ballroom, he makes sure he sits down, writes a five-page letter to his pastor. He said that um, he his pastor would be the only one to understand, and then he asked that the bodies be cremated as his children agreed to. He said his mother had a plot in Michigan, and she's to be sent over there. He also said um, he had originally had planned on killing his whole family on All Saints Day, but he had it had actually been de- he had actually delayed it for whatever reason, and then he actually asked yeah, to be dropped. What would from- be the point of that, anyways? I don't fucking know. He's fucking yeah, that's delusional. Prob- exactly. I'm like that's I'm like freaking wiped out his whole family. His he children. killed his own kids. How fucked up do you got to be to kill your own kids? Fucked up. Fucked up. So I, I don't know what his whole point in All Saints Day. Maybe he felt it was more religious time to do it. I, I really couldn't tell you why that was his initial thought and it just got delayed. But not by much because this happened in November and what All Saints Day is end of October. Yeah. So um, 10 days difference. Um, he also asked to be dropped from the congregation rolls. So I'm not sure if maybe they had a, a list of, of people that roll call or I don't know how they do that. But that. Yeah. I wouldn't know. So, same. <laughs> but no worries, because he felt sure that God would forgive him. Oh, since really? Since Christ had died for him along with all the other sinners. Oh, yeah. He wipes out all your sins. He then turns around. All the sins. It's okay. Sins. It's okay. 
it's fine that you killed your whole family. Yeah. No It's okay, Mihong. You can still get into heaven. Negative. <laughs> it's a big fuck no. So um, what he does is he actually sits down and sends notes to the kid's school, part-time jobs, and saying that the family was going to be um, visiting um, Helen's mother in North Carolina for several weeks. Um, he carefully cut his picture out of all the family photographs in the house. He stopped the milk, mail, and, and newspaper deliveries. Of course, being so tired of all that, he then made himself dinner and slept in the house till the next morning. Yeah, he had a rough day. Totally rough day. So when he woke up, he turned the thermostat down to 50 degrees to, I'm assuming, slow the decaying process, switched the lights on in every single room, queued up the music, that organ music, creepy fucking organ music through the intercom and just turned it up super loud before he left. Okay, well, I, I failed to see what the point of that was. Well, I actually looked at a, another interview, and I'm not sure if I have it quoted on here, but he actually, it was actually his favorite station. And he, he thought it would, you know, if anybody tried to get in the house, that they would hear the music and they wouldn't go in. Okay. Yeah. Fucking crazy nutball. <sighs> so by the time, you know, fast forward to December, police go into the house, fucking creepy, eerie music, no lights on, all light, all the light bulbs burned out. He had, um, he already had a month's time to do whatever he was going to do. They actually found that his car was abandoned at JFK in New York, but there was like no evidence he had boarded a flight. And then that same documentary that I was watching yesterday, they said he actually said, because it's an interview with him, he said that he actually parked his car there and got on a train and decided to go out west because... Nice. You know? he's never he, It's never been out west, for God's sakes. Heads himself um, all the way to Colorado. He Start then, a new life. Exactly. So he um, changes his name to Robert P. Clark, which they said was a um, somebody he knew from like um, his time in the military, which the person who actually is named that doesn't even remember who this guy is. So I don't know where he got that name from, but he um, rented a trailer. He went from job to job, started as a cook, then a hotel manager, and eventually made his way on to become an accountant again. So by 1975, he actually joined St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Denver and became a church member as well and uh, part of the financial council. Uh, Outstanding citizen, godly man. You know, and then the following year, he had done enough to where he acquired a driver's license, bought a car. Um, He used the car to drive, um, you know, old folks that couldn't make it to church back and forth or wherever they needed to go. He also, at this point, met a woman named Dolores Miller at a single social. Isn't that crazy that you just never really know somebody? God, girl, that's... Like, the guy that's driving your kids to school could be, like, a fucking murderer on the run. That's exactly it, girl. You just don't know people. And that fucking creeps me the fuck out. Yeah. So all you girls dating out there, please be safe. You never know what car you're getting into because, you know, men like this just pick this woman up at a single social. At church. At what? (laughs) At background checks. Background checks. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so he met Dolores Miller at a single social after telling him that his wife had died of cancer. They began dating and eventually married in 1985. So shortly afterwards, he was, of course, fired from his job, um, failing to keep up with company changes, and was also asked to leave his post as Sunday school teacher because he was too strict and demanding of the students. Um, He attempted to do his own business, but failed. 
And now this is another, um, this isn't one that I found on only one website, but not the others. But they started saying that his new wife, Dolores, started much like his first wife saying she regretted ever marrying him and spoke often about getting a divorce. Now, that I don't know how true it is, but that's what this specific website said. While it's still in Colorado, um, they said that Wanda Flannery, an avid reader of Weekly World News, in February 1987 spotted an article about a man who had murdered his entire family um, many years later and had gotten away with it. And she said that she was um, struck about... How similar the fugitive um, John List was to her neighbor, Robert Clark. She took the paper over to the next door neighbor um, and his wife, Dolores. And he, you know, while he was at work at temporary job at that point in time and showed it to her. And so she told Dolores, you know, who was like, yeah, okay, that's my husband. I think I know my husband, but whatever. She's like, okay, Gladys. Yeah, right? (laughs) She's like, so she said, she said, just just show it to your husband. See how he reacts. And so um, Dolores is like, yeah, okay. Shuts the door, promptly throws that paper away and gone. Shortly afterwards, um, John and Dolores moved to Virginia. So seeing that they're still together, that's why I wasn't too sure if um, the previous notations of her being like, I want a divorce. It's like, then why would you move with him to Virginia? Right. So the authorities couldn't find List despite national public um, manhunt led by the FBI. They, they had, they just, he just gave himself a huge head start by that month. Right. I mean, he could have been anywhere at that point in time. And of course, there was no internet at that point in time. Most of the news also showed local. So you would have to really be looking for anything to be nationwide. So again, when the cold case turned up 18 years later and that and, and America's Most Wanted came out and brought out that clay bust um, and, and aged him to what his age would be now, it was that same neighbor, Wanda Flannery, who contacted the police and told them about her former neighbor named Robert Clark, um, who had recently moved to Virginia. Wanda was a smart lady. Right? And again, that this is the only article I found that she saw in regards to the paper, but she was either way the one who kind of fingered him and said, that looks a lot like my old neighbor. Check him out. Right. Had it not been for her, because it was, I think it was only one tip out of the hundreds that came in that actually caught him. So on June 1st, 1989, like I mentioned before, he was arrested at his Richmond account, at a Richmond accounting firm, accounting firm. He, again, continued to stand by his alias for several months, even after extradition to New Jersey um, in 1989, faced with irrefutable evidence, um, again, including the fingerprints that matched his, his um, ones that was listed through his military workers, records. Um, he finally confessed on February 16th, 1990. Wow. That's, he actually, a long, that's a that's really a long, long run. Time. That's 18 years. Yeah. So can you imagine how long his new wife would have been married? Can you imagine how she must have felt after finding that out, though? Exactly. That is insane. She I should mean, have believed Wanda. Right? Wanda was a smart woman. Um, Luckily, he didn't get tired of your ass. No shit. Well, maybe he was at that point. He didn't seem to be doing too good in the financial department there. So Right. That's true. So he eventually, he actually pleaded not guilty to the killings, and then his bail was set at $1 million. Um, during the trial, his his lawyers tried to convince a jury that he was insane in time of the slayings and thought that killing them would be the only way out of their situation. I'm like, uh, no. No, no, because he seems pretty pathological about the way he did everything and very thorough and then just goes on with his life. Exactly. That's what the jury jury pretty much thought, too. Um, When they asked him why he didn't kill himself, he said, again, committing suicide would have barred him from getting into heaven. 
but he could still have Jesus' forgiveness if he only killed his family. Alrighty then. I'm like, oh, shitbag. <laughs> shitbag alert. Ding, ding, ding. So um, again, like I mentioned, jury didn't buy it. He was found guilty on all counts in April 1990, which doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but that was about, what, 30 years ago? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That makes you feel real old. It was a minute ago. (laughs) Let's not go there. He was given five consecutive life terms in federal prison. His lawyers obviously appealed his conviction on grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder due to his military service. And I'm like, there's a lot of military people out there that do not kill their family and they suffer the same um, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, They said that he argued that the letter he had left behind at the crime scene is essentially his confession was confidentially communicated to his pastor and therefore inadmissible as evidence. So, but thank God. Was it really though? The federal judge did not agree and they said, fuck you. Right. And rejected it. He actually eventually, eventually expressed a degree, a degree of remorse for his crime. He said, I wish I would never have done that, and I regretted my decision. I regretted my actions and prayed for forgiveness ever since. Did you? Did you really? I'm like, you're alive, moving, working. Um, Got married. Fuck you family. and your forgiveness. He eventually died in jail of pneumonia. On March 21st, 2008, while in prison. The house... Huh? Good. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Um, The house um, Breeze Knoll was destroyed in an arson fire about 10 months after the murders. And they said that they don't have any... They never officially unsolved the arson and burning down of that house. However, what else are you going to do with that house? You can't resell it. I mean, you can, but... That's not good. That's no yeah, good. Yeah, that juju. would be grace and great in disclosure. Yeah, they said that. Um, <laughs> what they said is that destroyed along the home was the ballroom's stained glass skylight, rumored to be signed a Tiffany original, worth at least a hundred thousand dollars at that time, which is equivalent to five hundred and ninety thousand dollars in two thousand seventeen. So he could have got himself out of That's debt. That's just... exactly. They said um, the new house is actually a new house is actually built on the same property in nineteen seventy four. That is called irony. Oh shit! They said that movies based on that movie movie examples that were actually based on this a little bit was the John List story, which he was portrayed by Robert Blake, another shitbag. And then 1987, The Stepfather <laughs> and its remake. And then even Kaiser Sose in the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects. Really? It was actually based on him, yeah. One of um, the sites that I got this information from was Wiki, Forensic Files Now, and Everything2.com. So this is the house. And then you could see up top here where the aerial view is. Oh, yeah, that would have definitely been haunted. <laughs> right that would have been a great like, can you story. imagine that going in there and, and that organ music playing i mean that fucking just creeped me well out can you imagine people living it? there afterwards like maybe 100 years down the road and like you're just in bed and all you hear is organ music and you can't figure it out why no shit and the noise is coming from the ballroom yeah mm, no Fuck that. thank you the best so that, thing they could have done was burn that house down no shit so that was my story of the Breeze Knoll murders. That was a good story. What do you have for us, my dear? Well, since we're taking a month off, 
This is literally going to be our last episode until January. Um, and we're going to miss Christmas and New Year's. Yes, ma'am. I thought I would end our last episode with Krampus. Ooh. Have you ever heard of Krampus? I saw a preview once. Oh, the movie. Yes, ma'am. Yes. It's about as far as I got for Krampus, yeah. though. I was like, Krampus? No, Krampus. Krampus. <laughs> so anyways... We thought our Mexican parents had an interesting, if not cruel, way to keep children in line um, by invoking the Cucuy or La Llorona. Uh-huh. Well, apparently they have nothing on the monsters that German parents threaten their kids with. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we think of Christmas time, for some it's the commemoration of the birth of Jesus, the age-old vision of the nativity scene with proud parents Joseph and Mary, and the gift-bearing Magi, and still for others it is a season of giving and receiving gifts that we perch underneath brightly lit Christmas trees. And homicide-inducing repetitive Christmas music at work, hot apple cider, <laughs> stocking. Oh, my God, you could say that again. <laughs> I'm like, I want to go deaf from this ear if I got to start listening to Christmas music in October. Oh, my God. So, like, when I used to work for AutoNation, uh, we had the payroll center, which was based out here, which did, like, I think it was, like, the Southwest region or whatever. Okay. It was, like, a regional um, payroll center and one of the gals that sat next to me and I'm not going to name her name but she loved her Christmas music God, and she was literally right next to me and she literally started it before Thanksgiving and played it every fucking day oh my god Alma I up loud I don't think I could have handled that I, I'm not one of those people that's completely adverse to Christmas music I uh, like a Christmas song here I'm the and complete there. opposite I hate Christmas <laughs> But she literally made me want to chuck my fucking stapler at her oh, on a daily basis. <laughs> don't, don't. What happened? I don't know. The stapler just came out of my hands. I was like, stapling and it accidentally <laughs> hit you on the head. Are you okay? Maybe we need to turn down this Christmas music. What do you think? <laughs> literally. Literally. Oh, my God. So, anyways. Also... Hot apple cider, stockings hung by the fire with care, not too close to the flame. <laughs> and last but not least, the jovial, rosy-cheeked, snow-bearded old man that rides his airborne sleigh across the world and magically delivers millions of gifts across the world and somehow knows which children have been naughty and which have been nice. I'm telling you, girl, Christmas. No, you forgot the, the financial hole you get yourself into oh, yeah. in order to, you know, help Santa out just a little. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's not even talk about that. So most of us have heard the story of good old St. Nick. Yes, ma'am. And we have heard his origin story. Sure. But we, not a lot of us have heard the story of his lesser known companions, other than elves, of course, who usually serve as a foil to the benevolent gift bringer. Oftentimes being the issuer of punishment to those children who had been naughty. One of those companions who, up until recently, most of us here in the States, unless you have Germanic roots, had not heard of, is Krampus. Do you want to go outside, Shorty? I guess not. She changed her mind. That is until 2015 when a movie called Krampus comes out. And now there seems to be a renewed fascination with the nightmare-inducing demon-like creature. Oh my god, and it's funny because you, um, I actually didn't know who Krampus was either until I actually saw that preview like I mentioned earlier, and um, 
I was like, what the hell is that? It's amazing. I find it very interesting and amazing of all the different folk folklore around the United States. Because we live here, we tend to think that we're the center of the universe, as arrogant as that sounds. I right. think almost anybody probably does in their own country. Um, but just listening to just different folk tales and, and this one in particular I don't know the full length of it because you know I'm a big I'm a big scaredy cat so I can't watch a lot of right. scary movies anymore but the preview was enough <laughs> <laughs> well let me tell you all right who is Krampus you might ask who is Krampus I am asking basically in a nutshell Krampus is the anti-santa oh no I think I like him though but even you <laughs> <laughs> But even that is too simple a term to define who and what Krampus is. His oranges, his oranges. (laughs) He has big oranges. (laughs) Sells them by the freeway. (laughs) That's a whole different culture. (laughs) I'm sorry. He's got big oranges, man. Anyways, his origins are much older than Christmas or Christianity. And date back to pre-Germanic paganism in that religion. In that region, sorry. In fact, the origin of his name comes from the German Krampen, which means claw. And some versions of his origin story have it that he is the son of the Norse goddess. The Norse goddess of the underworld, Hel, H-E-L. Interesting. Okay. Who basically has dominion over the realms of Hel and Niflheim. Niflheim. Who's, okay. Niflheim. Niflheim? Niflheim? Nephilim. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that last one. I almost said Nephilim. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you might notice similarities to Thor's Ragnarok's Hela. And okay. yes, they are one and the same except for one difference. In Norse mythology, Hel is actually Loki's daughter rather than Odin's daughter. Okay. I'm like, I like her already. I see. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because I have to explain everything like based on the movie universe. Yeah. So we understand everything. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Historians remain unsure as to the exact origins of the Krampus figure in folklore, but it is believed that like Santa, Krampus predates Christianity, stemming from Norse and Alpine traditions and Germanic paganism. Like many legendary characters, including St. Nicholas himself, Krampus's image has evolved over time and throughout regions, but Krampus represented a balance of light and dark, providing a harmony between good and evil, so he is basically a Sith Lord. Oh no, like from Star Wars? I guess that makes Santa a Jedi. <laughs> Yoda, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jabba? Okay. No. Yeah. No, no, not Jabba. No. Jabba's a bad guy. Yeah, he is. Santa's not a good guy. Okay. But he brings <laughs> gifts. Okay. I'm pretty sure Krampus is pretty cool. He'll probably bring alcohol. Um, no, I'm pretty sure Krampus is not pretty cool. He's bringing at all. down the evil. He's bringing down the pain. <laughs> um, Krampus, the son of hell, has a nice ring to it, especially after you hear descriptions of Krampus or have the terrible privilege of seeing him with your own eyes. Well, damn, he better be something if he's the son of hell. Well, yeah. There are many variations to his description. However, the most common characteristics are that he has a goat like appearance, kind of like a satyr. Harry with cloven hooves, and in some stories, he has one cloven foot and one human foot. That must be real hard to find shoes. I don't know why I thought of that. 
again, a bottle of wine in. I don't think he wears <laughs> shoes. No? You no, sure? No. Maybe just the one. He just kind of, he's limping a little bit and just goes in a circle all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was us earlier. <laughs> yes. Don't confuse Krampus with ourselves. And of course, the horns of a goat. He has a pointed, a long pointed slithering tongue. That is always sticking out of his mouth like a member of Kiss. He could probably give Gene Simmons a run for his money. I was thinking more Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> like a wrecking ball. <laughs> um, and let's not forget those terrifying things. Oh, no. He is not pretty. No? No. You sure? He's not. No rosy cheeks? No. No big white beard? No. Jolly belly? No. He also stands upright like a man and carries chains, thrashing them for dramatic effect. Oh, no. Yep. So if he stands up straight, what does Santa do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to feel the comparison. Does he, like, kneel? Does he hunch over because his belly's kind of big? No, and Santa's jiggles? the boss. So they're, like, on the sleigh together, and they ride into town, and he's like, I'll take care of the good ones, and you take care of the naughty ones, okay? Oh. Basically like that. I think Santa's being played. Kind of reminds me of Loki and Thor a little bit. A little. Thor thinking he's the boss. Loki being like, all right. (laughs) And the boss. Exactly. He also carries Rutan, which is bundles of birch branches that Krampus used to swat children. Damn. Sounds Mexican. (laughs) Like I said, German mothers. German. (laughs) These, These birch switches probably have origin in pagan initiation rites. Um, he's also commonly depicted with a large sack or basket strapped to his back, just in case he needs to carry off evil children to dine on. Oh, shit. Or occasionally drown or cart off to hell. Oh, damn. <laughs> German's moms were messing around. There are Mexican moms are like, they're like, nah, ninja. That, that man's going to take you in his back, drown you, take you to hell, or fuck you up. Take your choice. Be nice. He's going to eat you like a hamburger. And this is also very similar to a a tactic of St. Nick's other helper, Black Pete, which is, um, I think, like Norwegian. Okay. I've never heard of Black Pete. You've never heard of Black Pete? Never, never. We have to talk about Black Pete at some time. Okay. Maybe next Christmas. It's not a Nacho Libre character? No. (laughs) El Negro Pedro. No, how does that? That sounds like a black (laughs) fart, doesn't it? That doesn't sound good at all. It comes in the middle of the night. It gets all the naughty children. They wake up. They're like, the hell? El pedo negro. That's not a lump of coal in my sack. (laughs) Oh, wow. We definitely finished off that bottle. And I gotta go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry to anybody whose payroll I'm gonna fuck up this week. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Anyways, seems like a fun guy to invite to Christmas. Not so much. So, how the heck did he even get a place at the table of the Christmas story? Well, I'll tell you. The legend is part of a centuries old Christmas tradition in Germany where Christmas celebrations begin in early December. In the Middle Ages, in the days leading to the new year, the clergy organized a body vet body. Body body. The clergy organized a body festival with its roots in the Roman Saturnalia. 
Oh, Alma got all uh, distinguished there. Her accent and all. And called the feast called it the Feast of Fools. In some churches, ceremonies were held to elect a king of fools or the Lord of Misrule, whose role was to give absurd orders that the diners were obliged to follow, singing naked, jumping into the river, etc. You know, as you do. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> New tradition for the guys. <laughs> right? I, somehow, I feel like we've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've I've heard this before. <laughs> um, Sedona, maybe, maybe. Fossil Creek, perhaps. Maybe. All right, Krampus. For some reason we do not yet know, appears to have been selected each year as the Lord of Misrule or the King of Fools, responsible for sowing chaos and fear during the weeks before Christmas. So at some point he becomes grafted into the Christmas tradition, sometime in the 17th century. According to folklore, he shows up in towns the night before December 6th, also known as, known as Krampusnacht or Krampus Night. December 6th, Nicholastag or St. Nicholas Day, a day when German children look outside their door to see if the shoe or boot that they left out contains either a present or a rod or coal. <laughs> I don't think that's coal in that bag. <laughs> or in that boot. All right, so represent... Well, oh my God, we can you seriously just imagine how like, the practical jokes on that day? People, little kids leaving Chitting out their little shoe? boots? That wouldn't be right. That'd be funny as shit, though. <laughs> kids are like, Mama! No, because Krampus might get you if you fuck things around. Oh, all right. You, you don't want to mess with Krampus. You know there's going to be some sort of young fucking kid that's going to be like, eh, I'll do all it. All the naughtiness was left to Krampus. All right. All right, representing whether you have been naughty or nice, a more modern take of the tradition in Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, and the Czech Republic involves drunken men dressed as devils who take over the streets for Krampuslav. I feel like we've seen that before, too. <laughs> right? I don't know, because I saw some pictures and some videos of this, and this it's is not funny, completely funny, nightmarish. Ha-ha. Oh, no. no. A Krampus run of sorts when people are chased through the streets by the devils. I mean, they're like in full regalia. They're like got the horns and they're dressed like they look like demons. That's my worst nightmare. Running all over the streets and basically they're they're literally assaulting people. My worst nightmare. I'm not going to lie. These modern revelers have been known to actually chase, hit. Some have endured beatings by those dressed as Krampus during the Krampus run. Despite a few bruises here and there, it's all good fun, and they seem to aim for the leg. Oh, fun. So just remind me in our future travels that we will not be going to Germany or any other Germanic region during August 5th, 6th, around that time. No, girl. I'm seriously, like, on the real, I've never done a, um, like, mushrooms or anything like that. (laughs) Well, that's random. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm getting shit. There's a point. I know I'm usually pretty random, but there's a point. So I don't do any of that stuff. Not for, well, not because I'm not a person who likes drugs, my personal preference, but, um... When you're young, you, people tend to experience, you know, with this a lot of little different things. I'm not one of them because my uncle was talking about his two friends that were coming back from a small town, um, walking home to our town. Towns were pretty close by. And um, they were both on some hallucinogenics. I'm not sure if it was a mushroom or LSD. I, I couldn't tell you what. So he, um, they said that the friends looked at each other and they saw the devil in one another. Oh, hell fucking no. Fucking freaking the fuck out. 
and literally running the opposite way. This story has kept me clean from any hallucinogenics ever in my life. So when you're talking about that, that is seriously like my real life horror fucking story. No, I can't Can you imagine doing hallucinogenics and then going out on Krampus night? Fuck no. That would be a fucking nightmare. That'd be a negative. Let me just tell you. So I don't, it was like in the 90s when that movie um, Dracula came out. Yeah. Yeah. So me and my friends were like drinking tequila and we might have been smoking some pot. I mean, we were teenagers. Like like teens do. Right. Some adults. It's fine. Right. And then we went to go watch this movie. Okay. That was the most horrific movie I've ever watched while high. Really? Yeah. No, I, and I watched it later on after that. And I was like, that seems so much scarier when I was, I was just sitting there like, oh my God, why am I here? Why am I here? Oh my God. The devil. The devil's in the room. It creeped the shit out of me. So anyways, I can't even imagine doing hallucinogenics, which I have never done. Oh no. Okay. Hey, to eat your own, be safe. Take care of your own high. Um, don't go out on Christmas night. Just Krampus don't push it night. in my cup. <laughs> no bugs. No bugs, Alma. No bugs tonight. Between 1934 and 1938, when Austria was under fascist rule, Krampus was seen as a symbol of sin, anti-Christian ideals, and social democrats. Those scary social democrats. Damn them. The no- newspaper of the Austrian Catholic Union called for Krampus a Krampus boycott. And the government of Lienz... The capital of East Tyrol forbade Krampus dances and further mandated that all aspiring St. Nicholas's must be licensed by the city. They pledged to arrest Krampus whenever they saw him, though it didn't rise to the level of the of a ban. In 1953, the head of Vienna's kindergarten system also published a pamphlet calling Krampus an evil man. Oh no. And warning parents that celebrating him could scar their children's life. Oh no. That's insane though. Come on. It's a fictional character. Right. So, of course, because Krampus is a fictional character, because Krampus is a fictional character, um, it was difficult to find any, like, actual real life experiences of Krampus. Okay. So what I have for you guys today is a creepypasta story. Woo woo! Woo woo! All right, like I said, I'm going to read a creepypasta story for you guys tonight. Krampus is coming. It's a Christmas special. And since we're not going to be back till after January, this is perfect for the holiday season. Exactly. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) Was it Krampus Claus is coming to to town. town? We singing earlier? Oh, you better not shout. No, hold up. I'm like awful at Christmas music because I just don't know Christmas songs. You better not, not cry. You better not shout. No, you know we have phones. <laughs> you better not shout. You better not cry. You better. We better just stop singing. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand the whole you better not cry now. Right? All right, here we go. I was an only child when I saw Krampus. My family had just immigrated to this country. We had left our every earthly possession behind, but the memory and stories of our homeland followed us on our journey. Once we arrived, we immediately settled into the same ghetto that so many others from our Eastern European village had, a decrepit row of four-storied slums along an alleyway that was more sewer than street. Our father, during the few hours that he was home from the mill, said that we were better off here, but my sister and I missed the deep forests and high mountains that we had played in only a short time ago. Even when I tried to imagine myself back at home, 
my real home. The noise of the city always broke through my thoughts and brought me back to the alleyway. My mother tried her best to remind us of our old life. Often as my sister and I were crawling into the bed we shared, she would tell us the stories, the same stories she had she said her mother had told her. Some of the stories were exciting, others made us laugh, but a few terrified us. The most awful story told of an evil one who until the deepest part of winter to kidnap naughty children. All right, I read that right. That's just the way it's written. We shuddered as she told us of how it would torment children just like us, and sometimes we would even pretend to fall asleep in the desperate hope that she would stop. Please stop, Mom. She... Always finish the story. Our father would often tell her not to fill our heads with such horrible things that some tales from our homeland would remain there. Mother, though, would shake her head and quietly insist that it was dangerous to forget where we came from. Our lives continued like this for the next several months. I had believed that I would eventually come to see our forgotten alleyway as home. But its sense of foreignness persisted. In fact, it felt as though hardly anything had changed since we arrived. Our lives had neither improved nor gotten worse, and I still felt like an unwanted stranger in my own neighborhood. The only thing that had changed was our behavior. My sister and I had recently begun getting into more trouble often. We never meant to hurt anyone. It was just that we had so little, and sometimes we had to steal if we wanted to eat that day. Usually our misdeeds were my sister's idea... And I followed along. I guess one always looks up to the older sibling. I never believed that our petty crimes would ever have serious consequences. But looking back now, I can see that we were walking blindly down a dark path. I can even remember when things took an ominous turn. Ever since All Saints Day, our mother had been warning us to be good little girls. She pleaded with us to stop our bad behavior. I remember her crying a lot. Early in December, my sister was caught stealing a piece of fruit, and I thought my mother's heart would break. She began to shake and pulled her rosary beads from her pocket. For the rest of the night, she clutched the beads tightly and desperately repeated her prayers. When I finally asked her what was wrong, she paused just long enough to glance at the window and hissed, He knows. He knows. It might be too late. I didn't know what she meant, but I was scared. My sister didn't seem to care. The days passed and the temperatures dropped. It was the night before Christmas and snow had begun to fall. The heating had already gone out several times and the flickering lights threatened to go out as well. As we would be attending the sunrise mass the next morning, my father told my sister and I to go bathe. Suddenly, my mother began shrieking for us not to be alone. I heard my father quickly move towards her and begin trying to comfort her with his deep, soft voice. <laughs> We're always 12-year-old boys right? when we're drinking. Anyways, she quieted, <laughs> down. <laughs> she quieted down some, but still insisted that we not be alone. My father told us to take our baths quickly and then join them. As we headed down the hallway towards the washroom, my sister sprinted ahead of me and stood in the doorway. I'll go first, she said. I won't be long. She laughed. I stopped my foot. But said nothing as the door closed. She was the bigger sister, so. Right. <laughs> On the best of days, there was barely enough warm water for everyone in her family oh, to bathe. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> With the heat going out, there was likely only enough warm water for a single bath. My sister knew this. Oh, I hate that. You but I was the older poor? sister, so suck it. No plane. <laughs> <laughs> I bounced from one foot to the other as I stood outside the door trying to keep warm. I heard her draw the water and then began singing softly to herself as she dipped into the water. After a few minutes, the singing had stopped and I began to fear that she had fallen asleep in the tub. 
God damn it. Then I heard a noise, a sharp clacking noise, like someone was wearing wooden shoes. It was slow, but deliberate. Oh no, 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 no. Almost like it was sneaking up on something. I knocked on the door and the clacking stopped. No answer. I assumed my sister was just ignoring me or possibly trying to irritate me as she often did. Then the noise began again. This time, even slower. I pressed my ear to the door and held my breath. The clicking noise had stopped. But I could only hear a light tinkling sound. Krampus was taking a piss. Oh no shit, I'm like, (laughs) how was she tinkling? What was going on there? Sorry. Like the chime of a hundred bells playing in the distance. I listened until I could hear my own heartbeat. Then I heard a soft splash. She hadn't fallen asleep. She was playing a game, waiting to see how long I would stand out in the cold hallway while she turned her fingers and toes into warm prunes. I knocked again, louder this time. Still no answer. I was quite frustrated and cold by this time, and so without another knock, I swung open the door and stepped inside. Oh no. As I did, the power in our building went out. The hallway behind me plunged into total darkness, and I heard my mother give a cry of fright. I blinked my eyes a few times. The small heater in the corner of the washroom cast an eerie orange glow across the room. Filling my way until my eyes adjusted, I stepped around the curtain at the end of the tub and began to scold my sister for taking too long. Then I saw it. It was standing beside the tub. Though it was hunched over, it must have stood nearly seven feet tall, with its horns adding another foot or so. Coarse black fur like the pelt of a goat. Its body, its powerful legs that ended in hooves, the source of the clicking noise. A thick tail whipped through the air behind it like a cobra circling its prey. Heavy chains wrapped around its muscular shoulders and torso. As it inhaled and exhaled, the chains produced their bell-like chimes, yellowed eyes, that burned with smoldering rage, stared down from above its twisted nose. A wheezing, bubbling sound of breath passed between its fangs and incisors and extended so far from its mottled gums that I don't believe it could have possibly closed its mouth. A long-pointed tongue hung down past its scarred and disfigured chin like some grotesque dog, and thick globules of spittle collected at the corners of its mouth. Ew, ew. (laughs) I'm like, oh no. All right, I don't even know if I'm going to go to sleep after I've read right? this. One of these globules broke free and fell into the tub. Ugh. I looked down and saw its hands long and hairless. Each finger ended in a sharp nail and it was wrapped in the same kind of corpulent skin as a vulture's bald head. The result of too much exposure to rotting flesh. Then I noticed the thin wisps of hair floating up between its fingers. My sister's hair. The beating was holding her head in the water. I screamed only at the point did it look at me. It was not alarmed, but rather seemed almost whimsically bemused, as if I was asking it a riddle that it already knew the answer to. Looking directly at me, it stood up to its full height, its horns now brushing the ceiling. As it stood, it lifted my sister out of the water. My screams caught in my throat, and I began to choke. It held her with a single hand, each of its five sharp nails having pierced completely through her body. Oh, shit. Strangely, the only coherent thought that passed through my mind at that moment was the hope that my sister had already drowned and could not feel the pain. The beast took a step towards me and gave a dry, shrill laugh and sounded like an animal being strangled. It held my sister out as if it were cruelly offering her body to me. Then we both heard the footsteps in the hallway. 
My parents were running to see what was the matter. The beast quickly wrapped its heavy chains around my sister's lifeless body and cinched her to its back. Then, with surprising agility, it threw open the window and leapt into the narrow ledge. It balanced there for a moment and then turned back to look at me one last time. Our eyes met in that moment. It burned the full horror of itself into my very soul. Then it leapt from the ledge and disappeared. My parents were already in the washroom before I realized that the beast was gone. They held me tight and began asking what was the matter. I could not speak, but only pointed towards the tub and then the window. My mother was the first to notice my sister's clothes lying beside the tub and instantly ran to the open window. I heard her scream curses in our old language at the darkness. Then she collapsed and my father ran to her, begging for someone to tell him what was going on. My mother was near to fainting and I could only point to the hoof-like print in the snow upon the ledge and speak a single word, Krampus. I don't remember much after that. Four days later, my sister's body was found in a sewer grate. There was no investigation, no arrests made. To this society, she was just another dead immigrant child, no different in their eyes than a drowned sewer rat. Not that it mattered much. No manhunt would ever turn up that creature, which was not a man. I am old now. Over the years, I have seen all of my friends from that hellish ghetto die, some of them in horrible accidents, yet I have always found some measure of peace with every one of their deaths. I do realize that death is inevitable, but there is one fact that keeps me from finding peace with my sister's death. When the police officer came to visit my family, he said that my sister had only been dead for an hour before they found her body. That's sad and scary and freaking me out a little bit, but that's super sad. And that was by Ward Hokut. H-O-C-U-T. Great story. That was. Very detailed. I like that. Extremely. Kind of had me clutching my pearls. <laughs> Anyways, so that uh, commences our uh, podcast for the night. Pretty much. Hope you guys all have a great, happy, um, merry Christmas, Hanukkah. New year. All of the above. Drink lots. Have fun. Be safe. Live life like there's no tomorrow because for some people there aren't. And we will see you next year. Definitely keep checking our IG page. We may do a, a few um, just small updated pictures, memes, things that make us laugh. Or maybe me, just me and drunk Alma sitting uh, somewhere taking selfies and being silly. Right, so, definitely. Uh, y'all just have a great night. Have a good holiday. And this is Tipsy Tales signing off. I'm Yvette. I'm Alma. Have a happy new year. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Tipsy Tales. Music by Jesse Biscata, artwork by Sergio Hernandez. And if you're listening on iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review. Thanks.